You guys can be seated. So, um, thank you for hitting those lights. Appreciate it. Pretty sure that's yours. Yes. Okay. So, if you um, have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Mark. Um, we're still in Mark chapter 1. And uh, there's note sheets laying around. I also put the new ECs in some of your guys' seats. If you have an older copy of the EC at home and you want a new copy, I'm sure that somebody next to you will trade with you. Just uh, just ask them the newest one. I don't. I think it's the orange one. Um, it's the October one. So, um, with that said, uh, let me start off by saying this. Um, I appreciate all of the kind text and prayers. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, uh, sadly, my grandmother passed away on Sunday um, morning. And so um, we are, as a family, grieving. And um, we're also very uh, relieved and glad that she didn't have to suffer. Um, I can see God's hand through that. I can see his hand. How do you mind hitting the mute on the TV? Um, I can see his hand through uh, the whole process. Aaron and I got to go up this past weekend and um, see her uh, the last day that she was with us. And um, she was coherent. She was able to have a conversation with us, but very fatigued. And we were afraid that there might be a, a, a stint where she was going to have to be in a nursing home and basically just kind of like suffer um, the last days of her life. Um, so our family was praying that God would either take her um, or to, to heal her. And um, so early Sunday morning, um, my dad uh, called me and he let me know that she passed away and um, she died in her sleep. And so um, anyways, it's, it's kind of hard. We, we, have a, uh, we have visitation tomorrow and the funeral on Friday. So I share that with you to just let you know that because I value your prayers um, for our family. I feel like that um, I'm like on the brink of like the weight of it really sinking in. I think the weight has sunk in a little bit here and there um, over this past week, but because it was so quick and because it just, they live up in Louisville, um, it just seems kind of unreal right now. Um, so I'm sure that tomorrow and the next day are going to be pretty hard um, for myself and Aaron and um, our family. So if you guys can keep us in your prayers, that would be um, greatly appreciated. Uh, the second thing I want to share is that we don't have a ton of time tonight, um, so I'm going to try my best to uh, to get through this lesson. It's actually not a whole lot that uh, that I wanted to really like um, unpack in this lesson. We've already talked about the historical context uh, of this passage because this is moving in. For those of you guys that haven't been with us in the um, past few weeks, Jesus is in a town uh, that's on the, the Lake of Galilee, um, which was a pretty small lake, but a lot of Jesus' ministry was around that lake in the surrounding region. Um, and he's in a town called Capernaum, um, which was more than likely his hub for his ministry in the three years that he had a public ministry. Um, and so if you remember from last week, he had uh, gone into the synagogue, right? And um, he had preached um, in the synagogue. There was a demon-possessed man that came in and he cast the demon out. Okay, this is on the Sabbath, so it would have been a Saturday. He goes to uh, Simon Peter's house um, and his mother-in-law is laying sick in bed. And so uh, Jesus heals her. Um, and she starts serving them. And then if you remember, the scene was is that when the sun went down, um, the entire town brought him the sick and the demon-possessed for him to heal um, and to cast out those demons. So we talked about how word probably would have spread pretty quickly from the synagogue because the people were already amazed at his teaching. And then they cast out the demon and they were amazed at um, his authority over the spiritual realm. And so 
families would have gone back to their houses and been at home with their families during the Sabbath. And then when the sun went down, that was when the Sabbath was over. And then they were able to carry their um, sick to Jesus. And so those of them that weren't at the synagogue or hadn't heard up until that point, when he started healing people um, and casting out demons over and over and over again, um, you better believe that that town probably word spread very quickly because at that time, you know, um, the towns weren't extremely huge. This was a larger city, um, but it wasn't so large that, that words um, or word wouldn't have spread about Jesus. And so he uh, has this night of ministry, right? And that's where we pick up tonight in what happens next. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark uh, 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 35, and we're going to be uh, going through verse 39 tonight um, and seeing how Jesus responds to uh, an evening of, of ministering, ministering to these people, an evening of being drained um, emotionally um, and probably physically, uh, and what he does in response. So um, tonight we're going to talk about the king's mission, okay? So again, uh, Mark is very clear about how Jesus came to uh, proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand and that was his mission. And so there's these scenes in scripture where Jesus heals and he performs miracles and then he his popularity uh, goes out the roof. And then it, it's interesting to see how Jesus responds to those moments. And we're going to see how Jesus responds and we're going to see how the disciples respond. Because Jesus responds very differently than the disciples do. And he responds differently because he understood what his mission was. The disciples at that point, you know, they hadn't they had been following Jesus for that long. Could have literally been just days. And um, so they didn't really understand um, what Jesus was all about. And so they had just experienced this um, healing after healing after healing and demons being cast out after demons being cast out. And like we uh, painted the picture, they were probably just as amazed as everybody else in that town, that this was happening. And so um, so this is what happens um, in the following verses. Uh, it says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus responds after being drained emotionally and, and physically, after spending a long evening ministering to people. And we don't know how long this was, but you remember that we talked about how the Greek word in that passage said they just kept bringing people. Like it was a, it was, it was just a, a, a way of saying that it's not that they brought them all and they ended. Like they just kept bringing them, kept bringing them, kept bringing them. And so Jesus was probably doing this into the late evening, early morning hours. And then we have Jesus waking up early in the morning and going to a desolate place. Who in here likes to sleep in? Yeah. I know the one in here. I know. Yeah. So, so this is especially true um, when we have a long day of hard work, right? Um, that, that if you guys have been up late and it's been a really long day of work, um, it's so, so nice to just be able to sleep in. And so, as a human being, we get physically tired, and I love the fact that God made us in a way that we sleep and that that restores us. It's almost like a reset button for our hearts and our minds, too. But... Um, we see in this passage that Jesus, um, that he responds in a way that, that sure, human beings can respond, but most of the time we don't. Most of the time we respond by, well, we should just catch a couple of hours more of sleep because we're going to have ministry. There's probably going to be more people tomorrow, so I need to catch that extra, extra little bit of, of rest. But we have Jesus departing to a desolate place, and the term here is actually desert. Now, there weren't deserts around this area, but the point is, is that it was a desolate place where there were probably nobody around. 
And so, so you imagine that Jesus woke up, and remember, this is an agricultural um, society, and remember that, that they did not have electricity like us that extended the day. So what that means is that most of the time, they were on the cycle of the sun. When the sun went down, generally people were winding down and going to bed earlier than we do in our culture because of the wonderful invention of the light bulb. Um, but that's extended our days into evening hours that wouldn't have been normal at that point. But in addition to that, um, because we've extended our days in the evening, we don't really understand what it, what living in a culture, unless you live on a farm or something like that where you need the daylight and you want to suck everything out of the daylight that you can, um, you'll wake up with the sun. So I say that to say I'm painting this picture for you that Jesus wasn't just waking up like 6 o'clock, okay? More than likely this was like when it was still dark outside that he woke up and he departed. Now you imagine... The chaos, not the chaos, but the, the excitement and the bustle and hustle and bustle of the people bringing people to him and then that house being full of excitement and full of people being healed and being excited about that and praising God and all sorts of awesome miracles and the hustle and bustle starts to die down and maybe they caught a little bit of um, uh, shut-eye and then Jesus wakes up in the silence. And he wakes up and he departs away from the hustle and bustle that was to come. Now, we see why he did that here in a second. Um, we see why he departed um, and, and spent some time alone. Um, so, uh, the first point is, is that Jesus had rhythm, um, had a rhythm of solitude. You see this throughout the Gospels. Okay, who in here knows what solitude is? Somebody want to try to define it? It's a song by M83. Nice. Song by M83. Yes, that's, that is the uh, Webster... Uh, definition. Yes. Can I just fill in the blank? It's super yes. You can try to guess. Yeah. Solitude is a place to worship and be with the Lord. Ooh, that's very close. Solitude is a place to restore and be with the Father. Now, obviously, this is not uh, like a technical definition. There's other definitions, but solitude is is finding space alone with God. Yeah. Finding space alone with God. Okay. This is not loneliness, because in solitude, in the act of solitude, the practice of solitude, especially in the Christian tradition, it's not about going and being lonely. It's about going and being alone with God. It's about going and reconnecting with God um, and being restored. Now, in Mark, we see Jesus doing this three times. Okay, Now, in the other Gospels, there's more accounts of this, but in Mark, we see this three times. And the reason that I'm going to highlight this is that every time that he does this in Mark, it, it's usually right before a crisis. It's usually him preparing for something that's about to happen. Now you imagine Jesus in this scenario where his fame is like just exploding all of a sudden, right? And, and that, that there was a very easy road for him to take at this moment. An easy road of fame, an easy road of being a miracle worker, an easy road of having the masses follow his miracles and you see this over and over and over again in the Gospels where people didn't understand the signs that he was doing with these miracles. And they just wanted to see the miracles. They wanted their stomachs to be filled with the bread that he was creating. Right? And so, so we have this moment where, where who knows if Jesus was tempted in this moment to, to veer off the path that God had in front of him. We, we don't see that in the scripture. But I can imagine that it, this temptation was probably very real for him. Because the, again, what the people were expecting in a Messiah at that point was somebody that would come and be a political hero and overthrow Rome and make Israel great again. 
That's the Messiah that they were looking for. But when you look at the entire gospel accounts, you see that Jesus, the Messian, the true Messiah, came and he was, um, he far exceeded those, those expectations and he liberated people spiritually and not, um, politically. Okay? And so, so you see this in the temptations and we talked about this. It's not in the account of Mark, but if you look at the other gospels and you see where Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert for 40 days, one of the temptations is this, that, that basically, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Satan was tempting him to take the fame, take the political power, and that he would give him every kingdom in the world if he would just bow down to him. And so, so this temptation is there and it's very real. And so Jesus, um, uh, goes in solitude, a place uh, to restore and be with the Father. Um, I, I think it's interesting because when we think about Jesus as the Son of God, a lot of times we think that he's superhuman um, and that he never experienced fatigue. He never experienced, you know, the things that we experienced. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be sacrilegious, okay, at all. So don't take this in a sacrilegious way, okay? But have you ever thought about, like, Jesus burping or something like that? Okay, so I don't want to, I don't want to take that image too far because it can get into a sacrilegious place. But what I want to, to highlight is that Jesus was just as human as we are. He was, he was 100% human and 100% God. And we don't, I can't explain that to you. But what I can explain is that there's moments in scripture where, where we see more of his divine nature and, and his godlike understanding of things. And then there's times in scripture where we see his very human nature. He wasn't sinful in that human nature, but that he was human and that he, he needed to eat and that he needed to sleep and he needed to rest and that there were times that he was worn out. And so here's a moment where Jesus shows that, that he's probably um, spiritually fatigued and that he's going um, into solitude to be with God, his Father, to be restored in that and to refocus for the mission that he had him on. And, and so if Jesus did that, then, then what about us? Like our culture, it's just run, 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 run. And oftentimes when we come here to the church, it's just noise, 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 noise. And then we go home and it's just noise, 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 run, 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 run. And there's very little time at all in our culture where we just have solitude. And, and, and I remember um, uh, before I went to Africa, uh, both times, um, there's a place called Foster Falls uh, that's out towards Chattanooga. Um, but I remember taking solo trips out there um, and uh, just spending nights in the woods um, by myself with God and Sambo. Sambo was there. Um, <laughs> but us three together, right? Like the Trinity. So not really. Not really. That also could come across as sacrilegious. I didn't mean it like that. Um, okay, anyways. Um, so, uh, so I remember how sweet those moments were because... They were so far outside of my normal um, experience in life. Like I'm fighting for space in the morning time. Aaron and I do fight for space in the morning time to spend time with the Lord. But even in that space, like there's always the pressure of like, well, I got to get to work. Well, I got to get this ready. Well, I got to do that. Well, I got to do this. And so this practice of solitude, of intentionally leaving and going and being alone for an extended period of time with God and allowing Him space to speak into us is so, so valuable. And it's oftentimes totally neglected. And I don't say that to guilt or to shame. I'm saying that to hold out this this beautiful gift that we have the potential to have, but we have to make space for it and to find that solitude like Jesus did. So the disciples, 
respond in a very different way to uh, his fame exploding, and that's what we're about to look at. Um, so he's off in a desolate place, spent some time in solitude, praying and being with the Father. Um, and then, and Simon, um, Simon Peter, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, "Everyone is looking for you." And he said to them, "Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach um, there also, for that is why I came out." Okay, can you ex- can you pick up on the excitement in that? Okay, can you imagine like people knocking on the door? That morning, Jesus is gone, and Simon and like the other the other guys and people that were in that house are hanging out, and they start looking around. They're like, "Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Like, where did he go?" Right? All these people are asking for him, and so can you imagine the the anxiousness or the excitement? One of the two that these these people had to find Jesus because the whole town is looking for him. Okay, so Jesus responds by entering into solitude. Separating himself from that excitement and being with the Father, but these men, and, and it's not nothing against them, but these men got swept into that excitement. It's not that that's bad or wrong, but they got swept into the excitement and they found him. And they said, "Everybody's looking for you, aka, come on back because people want to see you, right? Like you're really popular." And then see how Jesus responds. Now this is after spending time in solitude. He says to them. Um, let us go to the next town, <clears throat> go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Isn't that interesting? Because wouldn't you think that Jesus would want to go back? Like the people were wanting to see him. Like his fame was was going up. Like it, it would make sense for him to go back and say, Well, there's probably more people to heal. There's probably more demons to cast out. Like, let's go back to Capernaum. Let's hang out with your mother in law that I just healed, right? get a good fish dinner, right? Like that would make sense. But I love how Jesus is so often, he makes decisions and he says things that just cause my head to turn sideways and be like, what? Like, like I can't wrap my mind around that. And this is one of those moments where he says, no, like I'm not going back. Let's go into some other towns. Now, obviously he came back to Pernium later, but let's go into some other towns. Why? Because... I want to preach there also, because that is why I came. Now, Jesus healed, and he cast out demons, and he did a lot of miracles. But what you have to remember in the Gospels when those things come up, it's a sign pointing to his divinity. It's a sign pointing to a a truth about the kingdom of God. It was never meant to be something that just was uh, the means to itself, meaning that Jesus wasn't primarily a miracle worker. Like, the miracles were there, but they were always a sign. The stop sign is there. It's a, Well, okay, let's use an interstate sign. The interstate sign is there, but if I drive past an interstate sign that says Nashville that way, that doesn't mean that I'm in Nashville. It's pointing towards where Nashville is. So these miracles and these signs, or these miracles were signs in pointing towards either Jesus' divinity or revealing God um, to these people or bringing the kingdom of God here in the midst of brokenness and darkness. Okay, And so that wasn't his primary mission. It was his secondary mission. What was his primary mission? We, I said it at the beginning. Huh? To teach. to teach. And what was his primary message that he came out proclaiming? Repent. That, huh? repent? Yes. Now, what was right before repent? The kingdom, is the kingdom of God is, is at hand. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, like the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. 
right? Or I guess you could probably flip those two around. It really doesn't matter. But um, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That, that he was coming to proclaim the gospel, the good, good news. That, that the brokenness in this world is about to be met with the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm God incarnate, and I'm going to make a way for you to be in relationship with God again. Okay. So, um, Simon and those who were with him uh, were swept up into anxious um, slash excited movement. Who in here gets, like, um, anxious at times? Or, like, nervous or, like, like, you know, like, kind of on edge because, like, you got so much going on in your life? Okay. Yeah, all of us probably have a to-do list that's super, super long, and sometimes we get anxious about it. Like, it just is what it is. And so, so, um, so we see these men experiencing some sort of anxiety or excitement about like the fact that everybody's looking for Jesus, they can't find him, then when they find him, they're like, come back because everybody's looking for you. And we see them responding very differently than Jesus did, where he went and he found solitude and peace, and he was able to, out of that place of peace, answer um, their excitement in a very different way. Jesus responded to their movement with peace, direction, and certainty. Now, we don't know what Jesus was doing in, in the solitude. Obviously, he was praying. We know, we, I mean... He's obviously praying, but we don't know what that actually looks like. You can find different passages in Scripture, and I think that one passage that's really helpful um, to help understand kind of like this, this uh, intimacy between Jesus and the Father, um, there's, there's times in Scripture where Jesus will say to, um, especially the people that oppose him, um, that I speak only what the Father speaks, and I do only what the Father wants me to do. Okay? That, that, that Jesus was revealing the Father's heart to these people and, and, and that, that his, his goal was to do only what the Father wanted him to do, not what the people wanted him to do, not what, not what maybe thought was possibly a good, good idea, but what God wanted him to do. Now imagine the hustle and bustle and the distraction of that hustle and bustle. Yes, he's the Son of God, but he's also fully human. He knew that the road was leading towards the cross. There were, there were different roads that he could have taken along the path. But he continued to make time to be with the Father and to commune with him, meaning like spend time in close relationship with him, to re, refocus himself and to, to regain direction. And, 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 what's, what's, and it's not that he didn't have direction, okay? He had direction. He knew what he was there to do. But at times, he needed to get away and just be with the Father. And so he made time for that. And out of that place of being grounded in the Father, he was able to stay focused, laser-focused on what God had him there to do, which was to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand and the gospel, the, the, the power of the gospel, um, to proclaim that to the people. The signs and miracles were secondary. Okay. So Jesus knows that um, knows he has come for more than fame. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. <clears throat> So I've already uh, talked enough on that. Um, so let's look at the last uh, verse here. And he went throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he didn't go back to, to Capernaum immediately, at least um, from the sounds of things in Mark. Um, didn't go back to Capernaum immediately. But then he went throughout Galilee. I remember the Sea of Galilee and the surrounding region, that that's kind of where he uh, functioned in his ministry. And he preached in their synagogues. And for those of you guys that haven't been here um, or don't know what a synagogue is, that's a place where Jewish people would have gathered um, 
sometimes Gentiles, but Jewish people would have gathered um, and uh, read the law, the Torah, um, and had some sort of speaker expound upon that. Um, Normally, they would expound upon it based on what other rabbis that were really respected have said. Um, But Jesus came in, and we see that uh, right before this passage that we're looking at, that he came in and spoke in a synagogue, and they were amazed at his authority because he spoke under his own authority and not underneath the authority of some other rabbi so-and-so. And so he went around um, on a basically um, um, a speaking circuit, um, and he's proclaiming the good news. He's proclaiming the gospel, that that's his primary mission, to bring people to faith, to bring them to repentance so that they can be in right relationship with God. It's ultimate purpose. And that in that, um, he was also casting out demons. And so uh, just a few points on this. Um, the king has a mission to reveal the Father and proclaim the gospel. Now, Jesus was the reflection of the Father in heaven, that he was... He was God's presence incarnate here. And what I mean by that is incarnate, I mean that like God came from heaven, God the Son came from heaven, and He dwelt among us. He, he lived among us, and, and that in that He was revealing the heart of the Father. And so it's so, 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 so beautiful because when you look at the Old Testament, a lot of times it's like sometimes confusing. It's like, okay, like sometimes I see God's doing this and then I see God doing that. And it's not that God changes, but sometimes it's just hard because it's like, okay, God, we don't really see you. We don't, but, but we see your activity and it's hard to really like parse that apart and understand it. But he made it completely clear through the Son by him coming and showing his heart. Him coming and loving the people and caring for them and redeeming them and, and releasing the captives. That This is why He came and this is God's movement in human history to bring people back to Himself. And so He had a mission to, to reveal the Father to people and to proclaim the good news and those two go together. The king also had a message. Um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. So repent. And then the king has authority, and we've already talked about that in the first two lessons, or the last two lessons, um, through his teaching and his acts. So, so Mark adds on there at the end that, that he was not only teaching in the synagogues, but he continued to cast out demons. And so, so that shows that Jesus has spiritual authority, that he has authority over the, the spiritual forces of darkness, and he continued to cast out demons, um, and continued to not only proclaim with tr- the truth of the gospel in power, but showed it in his um, actions. Um, so uh, we're about out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop to the conclusion. Um, <clears throat> did you guys get all those? Uh, you got all of them? No? Okay. So, one more? Forward one more. Okay. Maybe maybe you can like uh, cheat off the person next next to you. Okay. All right. Let's hop to the conclusion. <clears throat> so so I have a, a couple of questions and then one statement for you guys. The first question is, how can you? pursue solitude. So Jesus intentionally woke up early in the morning and he went and he was alone in, um, in a desolate place in order to spend specific, um, intentional time with the Lord, with the Father. And, and, and that this was essential for Jesus. So if it's essential for Jesus, then I would, I would be willing to bet that, man, we could gain a lot if we were to take this, this somewhat seriously. Right, but this go. I think that this goes a little bit beyond like the the normal quiet time. Even though the quiet times can be a, a, a time of solitude, 
I think that this goes beyond that in the sense that we're, we're making space and time away from the distractions that are normal in our lives. So for those of you in this room that always have a phone around you, this is the time to leave that behind. So, so that there's no distraction. For those of you that, that get super distracted by friends or family or whatever, this is a time for you to find a place where, like, and it doesn't necessarily have to be far away, but find a place where you know that you're not going to be distracted so that your heart and your mind can just be with the Lord. And so, so to be intentional about that, um, to think about how you can be uh, uh, intentional about pursuing solitude. And then the second question is, is how might practicing solitude help restore you spiritually? When I went out and camped by myself... Um, uh, before Africa, uh, my intention in that was twofold. One was that I knew that there was a potential that I would be alone in Africa, um, and so I was trying to uh, prepare myself for that. But the second, more important thing was that I knew that I, I wanted to connect with God and that, that He was. I felt like that He was calling me to do that on a periodic basis, to spend time in solitude like that. And I'm so grateful um, for the time that I had out in the middle, well, not the middle of nowhere, but basically it felt like the middle of nowhere and nobody was out there um, except me and Sambo, and to just like allow my heart um, to be before the Lord, it's amazing. Um, another uh, another uh, really quick story um, that I'd forgotten about until right now, so I'm just going to share it because I feel like God wants me to share it if it came up in my mind. Um, so uh, another time that I spent time in solitude, uh, my parents... Um, helped me rent a cabin out, and it was a small cabin, like a little chalet thing, so don't like start thinking like grandiose, okay? Um, anyways, uh, but rent a cabin out in Gatlinburg, and I went out there and I spent a weekend um, by myself and um, unplugged all the clocks and didn't leave the, um, the cabin the entire weekend until the last day. And um, if you've never done something like that, uh, and I know you as youth probably can't do that right now. Maybe you can, I don't know. Um, but if you've never done something like that, um, it's amazing um, how much God spoke to me in those days and how much it did restore me. And I'm not saying that to, to um, make much of me, like, oh, I went and did that, because that's not the point. The point is, is that, that I made intentional space for God to speak, and God spoke. And, and, and in a life that's full of distractions, it's so beautiful to have that space and we have to fight for it and we have to create it because it's not going to just show up on your doorstep it never will okay um so last uh point is i encourage you to take time uh this week to spend in and spend it in solitude okay so this could be as simple as like spending an hour in your room no phone no tv and just let your parents know, like, hey, I'm going to spend some time with God, and I'm just going to hang out in my room. Like, so, unless it's an emergency, don't come and get me. Okay? could be something simple like that. All right? And let me, let me go ahead and forewarn you. What's going to happen is that your mind's going to run, and you're going to get very distracted very quickly, and you're going to get, like, bored more than likely. But if you can push through that and push through the, the noisiness of your mind, like, it's just rattling around because our entire culture does that. If you can let it slow down and push through the noisiness of all this going on and you have nothing to distract you, and then allow yourself to be before the Lord and let Him speak to you. Maybe you have your Bible and you read. Maybe you spend some time journaling and praying. 
that's up to you and God. But I do encourage you, like, to, to, to spend some, some ex- more extended time in, uh, God's presence. Even if it's just like, if you, if you don't normally spend time in God's presence, I would encourage you to do that on a daily basis. But if you don't, then maybe this is like 15 minutes. Maybe this is 30 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. Maybe if you, if you, um, spend time like that with God on a regular basis, maybe this is a half a day that you just go and you find space to just be with Him. And then adults, if, you know, you spend half a day here and there, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's taking a day retreat. And while the kids are at school, you go and you just find a place that's beautiful that you know that you can meet with the Lord and just be there. Like, we have the right to do that. And our culture wants to encourage us never to do that. But it's such a gift, such a gift. And Jesus Christ sets the example in his ministry that he has a rhythm of doing that. And I think that we would benefit from also building a rhythm into our lives to practice solitude. Okay, let me pray. And then... um, we will be dismissed. Uh, I don't think I have any more announcements. If leaders, you think of anything, holler at me after I get done praying. Father, I um, come before you now, and I thank you for um, speaking through your word tonight. I pray, Father, that you will allow uh, this example of solitude to sink deeply into our hearts and our minds, and that we would um, be intentional about creating space in our busy, busy, busy lives um, to build in a rhythm of solitude. Jesus, thank you for setting this example and for showing that even you as the Son of God um, needed time alone with the Father. God, I pray that you will um, prompt our hearts, um, everybody in this room, that you would prompt our hearts to uh, find time this week to just be still and to know that you are God, to be still and to not have to be distracted by the next thing, to be still and to just allow our hearts to rest in your presence. God, thank you that you want to spend time with us and that when we are still, that you are fully ready to just speak and to minister to us. So God, I just pray that you would offer space in each of our schedules this week um, that we can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a good night. Hang on, guys, sit back down. Sit back down.